In order to take care of others, we need to take care of ourselves. Self-care is also health care, here now and every day. So it's okay if you don't have it figured out. So hey everyone, thank you for joining us today. We are glad you're here. My name is Rennie and I'm joined by my co-host. Me, I'm Lexi. And we want to talk about mental health and healthcare and how saying you're not okay is okay. In a world with mere mortals, we're so happy to be able to sit down with a superhero mom, Dr. Allison Rogers. She's an OBGYN and a reproductive endocrinologist and a fantastic advocate for sexual health and infertility issues. She's a mom and she's a working professional. So Dr. Rogers, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for having me today. So I, like you said, I'm a reproductive endocrinologist, so I'm double board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology, as well as reproductive endocrinology and infertility. I have a busy career in a private practice and work full-time plus. Uh, I also have a husband who has a wonderful career as well as an attorney. And I have three busy kids, and I really like to focus on educating people about their bodies, their health, and being able to advocate for themselves and really not limit their life based on sort of stereotypes and what society tells you to do. Um, so what made you decide to go, you know, choose the specialization that you, ha- that you are in right now? So I really like women's health and I'm really fascinated by the hormones and being able to solve problems. I love problem solving uh, both with sort of medication as well as surgery. And this was a field where I have a lot of passion to be able to help patients problem solve to be able to come parents as well as be able to uh, be able to do surgical procedures as well as, you know, traditional, other traditional treatments to be able to really help patients be successful to have the families they want to have. That's fantastic. That's a great reason to go into what you went into. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, so when you were telling us about yourself, you know, you do everything. And so when I was like um, going through your platform, I was seeing like, you know how to really balance work life and career life really well. And so do you have any advice for any pre-meds or any working professionals that are finding it a little bit challenging to have that career and family balance and feel like they're spreading themselves a little bit too thin? Yeah. So it's really interesting. My husband and I both have full-time plus careers. And what I would say is that when I I view my life kind of like a teeter-totter and I have my marriage on one corner and I have my children on one corner and I have my career on one corner, maybe a triangle you would say. (laughs) And I view that I'm kind of like always hovering, but sometimes leaning towards one side, right? So it's not always going to be the same, right? I have a child who is ill, I'm going to need to spend more time taking care of that ill child. I have some, my husband's having some issues with, I don't know, whatever, let's just say, um, I'm going to need to sort of give him some extra attention. My career, you know, there's whatever, somebody quits at work or whatever it is. I'm going to have to like, you know, focus on my career. Somebody's out, you know, I have like, I have a partner who's out on medical leave. So we're all having to chip in and work a little bit more. Right. So it's a little bit of a teeter totter and 
it's always changing, always moving. And I think the key to my success in being able to do this is number one, not that you need a partner. You can certainly do this on your own, but if you do have a partner, you need to have a partner who understands that obviously healthcare is very different than other areas of medicine, right? I get called to do an emergency surgery. I, it's not like I can say, oh, sorry, my husband has a contract due. Like it, I got to go, right? Someone's mm-hmm. life is on the line. So yeah. I need to be able to have, you know, uh, a supportive partner that is able to sort of understand where I'm coming from. And I think that having good, a good relationship and being able to communicate. So like my husband said to, the, to me at the beginning of this weekend, listen, I got a ton of work to do this weekend. I'm going to really need to spend some time doing it. And I also had some work I needed to do this weekend. And so, you know, we're like, okay, let's talk about the schedule. What, how much time do you need? When do you want to do it? Let's f- figure it out. And I think it's really important to prioritize all those three things in your life. So good communication is certainly one of them. And I think that also, you know, um, just being able to outsource things you don't want to be doing. And so I was given this uh, advice early in my career, and I think it's fantastic. So I do have full-time help that lives with us uh, for our family um, to help me with my kids and getting them all the places they need to be, Not less certainly now with the pandemic. Uh, I do have, you know, help, you know, I have someone pick up my dry cleaning. I have, you know, somebody uh, who helps clean our house. I have, um, you know, somebody who helps us with our finances. I have somebody who, like, I'm able to outsource some important things so that, you know, the, a lot of the stress and time consuming parts are, are out of my life. And I will tell you a lot of my friends you know, they work their full day at work. And I'll tell you, I work pretty much 14, 15 hours a day and mm-hmm. then come home, spend the little time I have, you know, while my children are awake mm-hmm. with them, you know, enjoying them, playing with them, doing homework, all the things. And then I get to go to sleep. Like I have someone else helping me with my kids' laundry, with my, you know, the putting away the dishes. And I think that obviously when you're in training, you might not have the resources to be able to do that. But when you're out of training, I think that being able to delegate everything, am I able to be at, you know, obviously school right now is virtual, but back when school wasn't virtual, was I yeah. able to be there for every single, you know, volunteer thing at school? No. But do I make it a point to come to at least one of their, you know, holiday parties every year and volunteer? Yes. So I think that it's all about balance and, um, you know, I also think that it's really important you sort of prioritize taking care of yourself. You know, I choose to do that by getting up early, exercising, spending time to myself, reading, um, maybe taking a walk with my sister or friends, whatever it is these days that is very socially distanced. I prioritize my marriage. So I have date nights with my husband that I'm able to, we're able to go out and spend time and have fun together. And I prioritize my family. So I do fun things with my kids, both together and one-on-one. I try to do one-on-one things with all my kids. And then of course my job, Um, I love what I do. And I think that if, you know, some people say like, if you were to win the lottery, would you continue to work? And I would, I love what I do. Um, I love what I do and I would absolutely continue to work. Um, So you said that, you know, you try and make it to as many of your kids, like activities and volunteer and stuff like that. I'm sure, you know, as kids, like I know personally, I would love it whenever my mom could make it to all of my events and stuff. But did you ever have to sit down with your kids and have that conversation of, 
your career and what it means and how it looks and how did that conversation go? Yeah, you know, so it's interesting because I was the daughter of a pediatrician who often missed lots of things because, you know, he was on call, he wasn't home from work, he was whatever, right? And I certainly don't want to be missing important things in my kid's life. Um, And so it's a balance. Things that I find out in advance, I have the beauty being in a private practice of being able to control my schedule and being able to rearrange patients or not put patients not not allowing patients to be scheduled during certain times. Um, You know, so I have the flexibility being in private practice of being able to sort of put my own schedule, my own hours, so to speak. Um, Obviously I work with a team, so I need to make sure my rest of my team is available. But in general, I do have a lot of flexibility. I think, you know, when I had my first child, I was a resident working 80 plus hours a week. And I absolutely remember her being a, you know, a couple months old and crying to my mom about the fact that every morning I would leave before she would wake up and I would come home after she was asleep. And I, I said to my mom, I said, do you think she's ever going to even know who I am? Yeah. And I remember Ugh. like she, like she would, I nursed her for about 15 months and I, and she would still wake up in the middle of the night to nurse. And everyone's like, Oh, you should try sleep training. So you can get to some sleep. And it was, the truth was a I didn't want her to sleep through the night because it's the only time I got to spend time with her, really. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, and of course, now she's almost 14. She absolutely knows who I am. I'm not on call every third night anymore. I'm not working, you know, 36 hours in a row twice or three times a week. Like, you know, life is definitely different not being in training anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember it being hard. That being said, I highly recommend people consider having children if they're ready for them in training. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Because I think that it's a fantastic time. You have other people who can cover for you. And, you know, when you're a resident, you don't work for six weeks. You don't work for six weeks. You know, um, if you are in private practice and you don't work for six weeks, not only do you not get paid for six weeks, but you need to come up with money to pay your staff for six weeks. And so I think that it's very sort of um, a different from a financial perspective, I think that of course it was hard at the beginning because I wasn't around a lot when she was little, but you know, um, looking back, I don't think I would have done it any other way. Yeah. So, um, what advice would you give to students who are having a hard time seeing their dream careers and life kind of come to true? Cause come true. Cause you were talking about how like your dad was also a uh, pediatrician, was it? Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that it, that was kind of probably what sparked your interest into getting into like the side of like kids and um, fertility. Not necessarily, um, you know, it, but I would say, you know, my mom, my mom's a, 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 you know, has a farm D she's a pharmacist, doctorate in pharmacy. And she was a single mom growing up when I was growing up and she worked and she was an awesome mom. And I think I had a good role model of, you know, how to do it. Now, you know, did my mom prioritize herself as much as she should have? Probably not, you know, but, um, you know, I think that um, I had a good role model to sort of see how it is. And what I would say to anyone out there who's thinking about a career, and I'll tell you, there were certainly some careers I considered that I shied away from because it didn't seem like it would be, you know, uh, very female friendly, very mom friendly. And, you know, 
would it have been? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have girlfriends who are transplant surgeons and plastic surgeons and, and other careers that in general are very demanding and not necessarily female dominated. Not that, you know, of course you have to be a, you can be a dad too, and, you know, be in these careers, but obviously when it's physically your body going through everything, it's a little bit different. Um, I would say that, you know, your life is what you make of it. So, you know, you can choose the job you want. You can choose to find a position that is part-time. You can choose to find um, a position that allows you to have a flexible schedule. Uh, you can also find, you know, uh, cultures of practices and, and universities that, uh, you know, ask you to do an incredible amount of work and uh, have unrealistic expectations to not allow you to have that balance. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's all about sort of finding the right career, like position after you graduate and sort of making your job what you want it to be. And yeah, you don't work as much, you're not gonna get paid as much, but maybe that's worth it. And maybe getting paid a lower salary, I mean, still a good salary, but a lower salary is worth it. And I think that's a really individualized question that everyone needs to ask themselves. But I think that there's no reason that you can't be a professional and be a mom. So, Dr. Rodriguez, you actually made, like, you hinted at a really good point there, the female-friendly um, verse in healthcare. So, I know that you had posted about this as well, the whole um, Medkini topic. Mm -hmm. And so, what advice would you give to a female who is feeling the pressures of, oh, if I don't always act in a quote-unquote professional matter, manner, I won't be seen as competent in my career. Well, I will tell you, too. I mean, when I started medical school, there were a couple kids in my class who had, like, dyed hair and gauge earrings and tattoos. And <sighs> by the end of med school, they were conservative, not showing any tattoos, the earrings out of their ears, like, and I think that there is like a little bit of a stereotype that, you know, um, certain lifestyles may not portray as quite as professional. And I think that those are still obviously being overcome, you know, you're still having to overcome those. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would say is that, you know, um, things are changing, of course, but obviously there is a lot that lies on your reputation, not only for just you, but like, if you're part of, for example, a, a faculty at a university, your reputation portrays on them. And so, right, like I'm in a practice with multiple other partners, anything I do online portrays on my practice. And it's really important to sort of understand that when you're part of something bigger than yourself, you know, what you do and how you portray yourself is really a reflection on more than just you, but your mm -hmm. So you were talking about how like things are changing and things are kind of becoming, you know, uh, in, in both like medical school, undergraduate and medical practices and hospitals. And so in the years so far, you know, including the changes that have happened because of COVID and before that as well, have you noticed how openly mental well-being is talked about or embraced by your peers or others? Because I know as undergrads, like Lexi and I, per se, we go through a lot of stress and anxiety, yet we don't talk about it because we don't want to seem weak, per se. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I think that's very true. I will say that I certainly had times as a medical student where I witnessed, you know, I was involved in a code 
you know, for example, and someone didn't make it. I delivered a baby who died. I mean, there's multiple things, right? Like I took care of something where there was a, you know, emergency and, you know, things didn't go as planned. I mean, when you're going through training, you see all kinds of stuff. And I absolutely remember coming home, holding it together at work and coming home and just bawling. Now, was I like clinically depressed? No. Um, Was it pure reactionary stress? Absolutely. But did I feel like I could really talk to anyone and say, oh my God, I went home and cried. That was so traumatizing for me to watch and to be part of that. You know, I was, you know, doing chest compressions and then the guy died. We couldn't save him, you know, like, and I think that it's not necessarily something that we talk about. And this is really part of the sort of sociology of medicine that, you know, there's certainly some, you know, I mean, sort of uh, cultural um, uh, sort of norms in place that you're right. You, you definitely don't want to come across as weak or, or not able to handle it. Um, almost seems kind of military-esque. Um, so I have a, another question for you as well is like, so how do you think like as medical professionals, as med, med students or as you know, undergrad students that we can work together to encourage people to talk about it and be okay with talking about it? Yeah, I think there's going to need to be a lot that happens to sort of um, obviously do training for med students and undergrads in terms of like resources. So if they're not feeling well, what to do maybe normalize it, that there are normal feelings that you're going to feel with the pressures of school, with the pressures of things that you're seeing that are, you know, traumatizing emotionally and maybe physically. I'll tell you, I really had a difficult time emotionally during my anatomy class, my first year of med school, like being around dead bodies all the time really was emotionally difficult for me. And I would have Mm -hmm. nightmares every night about it. And, you know, what are you going to do? You just sort of stick through, you know, get through it and try to get, get, you know, get to a better place. Um, But I think it's going to probably have to start from the top down. It's going to have to start from, you know, hospital administrators, uh, you know, department chairman, faculty, sort of being able to be open, share their own experiences, share that that it's okay to feel this way. Yeah, that's a great, um, a great look on it. Sometimes it does have to start at the top and not the bottom because we look up to those professionals right and if we Mm -hmm. see them making a change then we can have that change too and feel okay with that and so I have another question it's a little bit um drifted off um but what advice would you have for um like pre-health students that don't necessarily want to become a doctor but still want to work with fertility issues women's health and sexuality what what kind of careers and advice would you recommend them looking into Yeah. So there's a lot of different options, right? So there's nursing, like, you know, just uh, registered nursing careers where you can become a nurse. Like I have four nurses who work for me on my team that are amazing, fantastic, uh, smart, uh, caring nurses who make such a difference in my patient, in our patients' lives, you know? Um, So nursing is certainly one. I also think you could do things like sonography where you do ultrasounds, you know, you could do phlebotomy Mm -hmm. where you uh, draw blood for patients. You can do um, embryology or get a, you know, bachelor's degree or a master's or doctorate and work in the laboratory with the embryos. Um, You can, uh, 
think about like getting a nurse practitioner or physician assistant position. I do have a nurse practitioner who works with me to, uh, you know, with that helps with our patients. Uh, you know, so I think that there's a lot of, you know, options about different careers besides just, you know, being a physician. I also think that in the world of OBGYN, besides nurse practitioners and nurse midwives, there's also things like pelvic physical therapy, pelvic floor physical therapy, and, you know, other careers that are, you know, that have a lot of impact on women's health. Yeah, that was great insight. I mostly asked that because that's something I'm interested in doing. Yeah, I, uh, I actually told Dr. Rogers that you were like, because I when I messaged her to like get her to come on the show, I was like, my my bestie Lexi, she wants to do what you're doing. If yeah. you come on this show, she will love to hear from you. Yeah, I love what I do. I really, mm-hmm. really do. I work hard, but I love what I do. And I, I just wish that for everybody in the world, right? Everyone needs to find something they're passionate about. They love that drives them and they enjoy doing because the truth is you're going to be doing your job more than you're going to be seeing your spouse, your kids or sleeping. You better love it. Yeah. And then um, just another question. So you had mentioned this on your channel too. And I know that there's also a viral TikTok that you duetted as well. And her name is slipping me, but what kind of advice would you give to someone who's having anxiety or feeling that they're not being respected as a patient when they're going for fertility issues. Oh, yeah. So I really do think it's important to advocate for yourself, both as a, you know, in general health issues, not only like regular yeah. health, but of course, of course, women's health issues and then also fertility. And I think that every doctor has a different personality and every mm-hmm. doctor has sort of a different, you know, everyone's different and people can be fantastic physicians, but have horrible bedside manner. And be, it's not all about just being smart, right? I mean, mm-hmm. of course you're smart, you have a, you're board certified, but it's, it's more than just being smart. It's being compassionate, being kind, having some filters and etiquette about, you know, how you treat your patients and, you know, having to go through the experience of being an infertility patient myself, I do think that I sort of really understand from a very unique perspective what patients have to go through. And I can really put on my doctor glasses and then I can put on my patient glasses. And I do think it's really important that if you're a, on the patient side and you're with a provider who is maybe frustrating you, not giving you the answers you feel like you deserve, then it's important to get another opinion. Because I really view myself as somebody in my field of medicine that is there to sort of problem solve and sort of diagnose patients with sort of what they're diagnosis is, what their prognosis is. And then it's really my job to give them their treatment options. What I do is completely elective. Nobody has to do fertility treatment, right? It's not like a heart attack or Mm -hmm. high cholesterol. I mean, this is something purely elective. And so, you know, I think that being able to offer patients a variety of different uh, treatment techniques and explain to them what I think is best for them and why. But then at the end of the day, the patient really has the autonomy to make decisions about what their care looks like. And I really view myself as sort of their partner in that in being able to have to, you know, explain to them the consequences of the decisions they're making uh, in terms of success rates, uh, you know, risk factors, that kind of stuff. But really it's as long as they're being safe, of course, it's, it, it's not my job to decide what treatment they need. It's my job to educate them about what the options are. And then it's their job to decide. 
For sure. Um, you know, these, all the things that you've told us today are just, I love the fact that you represent someone who can be a mom, be in medicine and be able to do everything while be while being able to take care of yourself. Like I really respect that. And I hope to become someone like you one day in the future where oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I can, I can do it all, you know? Well, and you know, um, sometimes like my grandmother who's God bless her, 96 years old says to me, I don't know how you do it all. And it's because I don't do it all. Right. Yeah. I have a lot of help. I have a lot of help. I get my groceries delivered, especially now with the pandemic. I get my groceries delivered. I have someone else doing my laundry. I ha- right. I get help. I'm not doing it all. And I do think that it's really important to understand. To ask for it. And I'm not doing it perfectly. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that everything you see online, usually, not all of my things, but typically it's a highlight reel, right? I mean, yeah. In general, I like to be positive and inspire people. And, you know, in general, I am that kind of person. So, I, you know, I'm not really, you know, I, that is who I am. But, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, maybe my kids had cer- cereal for dinner or, you know, ice cream for lunch or, <laughs> right, like, uh, nobody's seeing that. I mean, are they also eating their vegetables other times? Of course they are. But, like, it's not, you know, did I leave dishes in my sink overnight? Yes. Did my bed not always get made? <laughs> Correct. Right. Like it, it's not perfect, but so it's okay to not always be okay. And I'm like a super type a personality, right? Like I'm like, I like everything perfect. And before I was married, I had like, everything was so neat in my space and everything was like organized to the T. And let me tell you, I live with five other people and <laughs> uh, I don't have a lot of time, free time and yeah. things are not quite that way. And guess what? okay yeah you know and I'm still and you know in general I still really like my house super clean but I you know I think that I have to have some patience with everything that it's okay to not be perfect and it really took a lot of training self-coaching to sort of get myself to be comfortable with sometimes doing a B minus job mm-hmm. not with work of course but you know <laughs> with whatever organizing something or you know showing up a few minutes late to something or whatever yeah and so you know for our listeners that are going to be listening to this where can they find you so i um you my practice website is fcionline.com for fertility centers of illinois um, and then if you do uh, backslash AK Rogers, A-K-R-O-D-G-E-R-S, that's my website, my professional website. I am also on TikTok and Instagram at dr.allison.rogers, so at dr.allison.rogers. And then I am also have a YouTube channel as well as I'm Dr. Allison K. Rogers on uh, Facebook. This is all amazing. So for anyone who missed that, don't worry. I will put all of that both in our Instagram post and on the Spotify. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Rogers. It was a pleasure to have you on our show. My pleasure. I can't wait to see where you guys head in your future. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. And remember, until next time, get your self-care together. And when we say self-care, we mean confidence, awareness, reflection, and empowerment. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. You can follow us on Instagram at mentalhealth.together. Have a great day.